I would say, you know, the best piece of advice is, is I think for me, it's get out there and build relationships. And, you know, if you don't ask, you're not get, you're never taking any chance. So you've always got to go ask the question. And then the, you know, for me, my, you know, I would say find a mentor. Like, I just think that that's, or mentors. Um, I think that's so important to push yourself, but also embrace who you are. Like, what do you want? I love what I do. Like I wake up every day excited to do it. I'm sure you guys are the same and that, that that speaks and you can feel it when you're, when you're with me. And so if you're not, if you don't love it, don't do it. Welcome to the CRE project podcast where investors, developers, brokers, and real estate entrepreneurs join together to grow, build, and execute on experience and strategies within the commercial real estate industry. We sit down with the top pros and leaders within the commercial real estate field and gain knowledge and insight from their success. We're glad you're here and look forward to connecting with you. You can find the CRE project on all major podcast platforms, along with YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. Hey, listeners, welcome to today's show. We welcome Josh Simon on the show with us today. Josh is the founder and CEO of Simon CRE based out of the Phoenix market. Um, Just a really knowledgeable and, and insightful guy. He actually launched Simon CRE in 2010 and to date has completed over 230 projects in 22 states, equating to over $530 million worth of value. So Josh has been very, very busy the last 11 years since he launched his company. We talk about uh, where he sees retail going, what major projects he has going on right now, and most importantly, lessons that he has learned along the way. So greatly uh, appreciated and enjoyed our time with Josh. Uh, Great, great information and conversation uh, with him. So sit back, relax, let's get started. Josh, thanks for joining us today on the CRE Project Podcast. Happy that you're here and uh, I guess uh, congratulations is in order. We read this morning that you were just uh, recognized as four under 40 for ICSC. So congratulations on that. Um, Huge accomplishment, man. Yeah, absolutely. So to that end, um, you know, tell us how you tell us how you got there, man. How'd you get that title? Tell us your story and your background, how you got in the business and basically how you got to where you are. Yeah, so I've been in real estate for 17 years, and it's crazy to think about. I'm still under 40, and I've been doing this for 17 years. Um, and yeah. so, been in retail, worked for a developer uh, for my first seven years, and then started my own company in 2010. Um, and obviously, if you guys were in the business then, or you know, <laughs> interesting time to start. Kid, it was an interesting time to start, and so um, just figured, hey, now is the time to kind of hang my own shingle. I didn't have any real debts, no wife, no kids. And if there was a time to fail, it's nothing like, you know, your early to mid twenties. Um, so just started just the first deal was in Clinton, Iowa. Um, fun fact about Clinton, Iowa is home of Flavor Flav. 
Um, and then also doing, you know, some brokerage work and really trying to figure out what I wanted to do. Didn't have a ton of focus. Um, but then I remember a really good mentor who finally kind of, you know, said, Hey, you, you've got to have that kind of shotgun approach versus kind of the, you know, machine gun side of things. And so we got focused on development and, you know, fast forward 11 years today, we have built 240 mostly retail projects um, in 22 states, a lot of single tenant um, projects, uh, but a lot of multi-tenant. Um, in fact, you know, one being we just closed uh, on a 600,000 square foot ground up power center on the west side of, uh, of Phoenix, which is like the first power center uh, built in, I mean, well over a decade uh, in the west coast. So super excited about that got 55 employees. Um, when I started the company, I had nothing. And so it's been a lot of learning over the last 11 years. Yeah, no, no doubt. So what, um, I'm just curious, what, uh, what's been your biggest challenge thus far in your journey? Well, I'd say every year presents like a new challenge. So, you know, I would say obviously the last couple of years, you can say COVID, um, although from a business side, you know, it's been pretty good for us. Um, but this last year, it's been very interesting when you do a single tenant or you do smaller retail buildings, um, they're not as complicated. You learn a lot, but the amount I've learned this year from, you know, developing a, a center of that size, uh, especially today has been, um, it's been so valuable. It's been really re-energizing, um, for me, just understanding how, you know, what happened in 2000, you know, eight to 10 with a lot of these co-tenancy clauses and how to design, you know, a shopping center for today. And so it survives for the future. And, um, you know, everyone during COVID was like, oh my God, every, all the shopping centers are going to change and everything's going to change. And, you know, really, you know, I look at what we're building today out there on this bigger center. And, you know, I'd say the biggest change from another shop is just more outdoor patio space, more drive-throughs and more like um, of the pickup, you know, buy online, pickup in store type parking spots has become even more prevalent. Um, you know, today. And then I would say on a personal side, I'd say this year has been for me challenging personal at business because we've grown again and to really understand how to be a better CEO. And I'm not the best people manager. I'm a deal guy. And so yeah. really understanding how to bring that next level of management in. And we just had a chief operating officer start a week ago, which I already feel like, wow, why didn't I do this a while ago? Yeah, definitely two different roles. There's no doubt. It's interesting. And we wanted to get your perspective, you know, being in the business 17 years, obviously developing uh, retail for the last 10 years. How has the business changed in the last 10 years? You know, obviously with the growth of e-commerce um, and uh, the impact of e-commerce in our business. And specifically, we would like you to talk a little bit about where you've been the most active and talk about, you know, you've said it already, and we wanted to ask you about it, but this massive project that you have going on, that's the largest project in the last decade, you know, that kind of goes or defies, I guess I should say, what everyone's saying out there. So how have you seen retail change? And where do you see it going? Well, and I think like retail, you get into on the macro level, everyone says, oh, retail's dead, but then you pull mm -hmm. So the mall's mall side of things is, is you know, going to be challenged forever, right? I yeah. think on that side, you take the best 200 malls, you put those in a box, and then you have everything else. And, you know, who knows, but outdoor shopping is as thriving as ever. And I think what you saw during the Great Recession is you saw those duplicate concepts of, you know, Circuit City and, 
and some of the other ones that needed to be like PetSmart and then Petco across the street. Well, that didn't work. And so now you've seen that kind of start to, you know, iron itself out. And so you're seeing what retail does really well. And that is, you know, um, instead of focusing on, you know, just growing stores to hit Wall Street's numbers, to figure out a better uh, omni-channel, you know, hey, I'm gonna order online, I'm gonna go pick up in the store. You know, they say, I think it's like 70 or 80% of customers that buy online to pick up in the store shop more in the store. And so they're buying something else. And I think you're seeing, you know, Amazon's forced us to get better, forced the retail side to get better. And I think it was just, it was needed. And so I think really in the retail side, you, it's hard to be the middle um, and so you need, really need, you've seen the value, you know, the discounters do really well. Or, and then obviously on the luxury side has done well. If you're, you know, a department store is a store of many departments and, you know, the box age, you know, junior box, big box broke out all those departments into individual actual real stores. And that's why they've struggled. And I think that has accelerated, you know, the mall's decline, but the outdoor shopping uh, center is, is alive and thriving. Yeah. They're, they're, Josh, can you speak a little bit to, to your tenant lineup? Who was the first tenant that you guys actually got a lease signed with to the extent you're at Liberty and comfortable sharing that? And then also kind of what the capital stack looks like, you know, where did you guys need to be on a pre-lease basis for your, for your lender to come on board? And, and do you have uh, private investors? Is it friends and family? You know, how, how are you putting all of the, that package together? Yeah, so on the um, the project's called the Village at Prasada. Quick history on that, which is an interesting talking about malls. Um, it was supposed to be a mall. So when the development agreement was done with the surrounding landowner, landowner about probably 15 or 20 years ago, it was supposed to be a mall site. So you have a hyper-regional site that's really good for retail. Obviously, 2008 hits, nothing's developed. The freeway isn't built out there. And so this is kind of a growing west side of Phoenix. Freeway comes in and obviously no mall is being developed. So we get involved in February of, um, well, we started looking at it in 2019, but we put it under contract in February of 2020. If you guys can remember, that was a very interesting time. And uh, I actually recall being on a, a Zoom happy hour call because we couldn't get together. Everyone was like, oh, we got to work from home um, to celebrate like ch virtual cheers uh, that, hey, we got this under contract, and then it's like, now what? Um, luckily, um, you know, we were able to get a lot of initial uh, tenant interest. So, you know, some of the initial tenants we had was, um, there was interest from Ross, PetSmart, Total Wine. Um, and then we had a couple, we had um, a couple theaters uh, interested at Family Entertainment, but Costco was already there. So Costco really kind of helped start it. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, fast forward, it's been really interesting, you know, seeing how much I learned this year, this, the way the dominoes work in a center like this is once you get a couple tenants all of a sudden, everybody wants to go. We, um, have 600,000 square feet. I have LOI sign leases and those are two phases. We've started the first phase, but I have literally over 90%, probably over 95%. In this phase wow. that we just started, which is 300,000 feet, the next 300 will start in like probably four or five months. That 300,000 square feet, I have LOI, I have like one little pad left. And so we've got Sprouts is signed, Ross, Home Goods, Marshalls, Ulta, Five Below, Total Wine, PetSmart, and TJ Maxx. So that's what a pretty strong lineup. Yeah, pretty strong lineup. So 
strong lineup. And so, you know, when we went out for the capital stack, um, I said, hey, you know, given construction costs, like when we started working on this, construction mm-hmm. costs were probably 40% less. And yep. so obviously yeah. the rents, that's, you know, some of the challenge that you work with in retail is you're locking into these deals and then, you know, you're not closing for 12 months and, you know, we want to keep our word. And so it's not like we want to go back and try to retrade on the rents. And so we had to come up with a creative structure. And because of the pre-leasing, um, we were able to get a community bank here in Arizona that understands the real estate, understands the tenant mix, but you have all credit tenants from the boxes. And then, you know, the shops, we still have credit and we have like strong franchisees. We were able to raise basically 100% as a debt vehicle. How we did that? Well, we raised um, about 75% through a con- conventional construction loan. And then the remaining equity, we put up some. We also have, you know, kind of, pr- we, we call it preferred equity partners. And so we just pay an interest rate and no backside. So you they pay They don't participate in the ownership. Mm-hmm. So that's great. Uh, it's a, it's and then you refi those guys out over after yeah. it's stabilized. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep you know, refi them out, you know, depending on what you end up doing, if you sell, you know, whatever um, makes sense there. And that's, you know, that's how we were able to make that deal come together, which, you know, feel very fortunate to have done that. That's phenomenal. How are you uh, like this deal and other deals, Josh, how, how do you typically source your deals? You know, that's part of the, uh, the magic. Um, (laughs) you, You know, sourcing deals is the most important thing, right? So I think it comes down to, you know, reputation and you know over time now we've performed on so much and i think that helps but you know tenants bring us deals brokers bring us opportunity um typically we're not your long term we're gonna pay a lift on land versus land banking it so i mean our business as you guys know it's all relationships and you know we just try to continue to build strong relationships with brokers and tenants yeah no doubt what are, so I, I kind of asked this a, a little earlier too, and I'd like you to kind of revisit, but where are you the most active right now? What are you seeing out there? Is it still just single tenant net lease development? It sounds like from a regional standpoint in your market, you're still doing a lot of strip centers as well, or where are you the most active? Yeah, I would say ge- uh, geographically, it's definitely yeah. Arizona on multi-tenant. I think, you know, for you know, we do own a big center uh, in Arkansas. For the most part, the multi-tenant stuff that we hold longer term, we try to own pretty close to home. I think it's very difficult to be a, a really good operator owner without really good boots on the ground <clears throat> to understand how things are changing, especially in somewhere like Phoenix, where it's growing so much. The center we own in Arkansas is a smaller town. There's not a ton of growth. We're always going to be main and main there. And so I think that's a little different. From a tenant side, Number of deals, definitely single tenant, but you know, the type of deals we've really grown in size. We, you know, recently bought a 200,000 square foot existing um, Hispanic anchored grocery center. That was about 70% lease. We're currently working on, you know, a new merchandising plan, getting new tenants in and, you know, investing in it. And so, you know, we look for um, value add opportunities, but also, you know, we'll look for good real estate. You know, hey, this is a good opportunity to buy something. This is going to be the rents are below market. So how can we, you know, I try to look at, well, how am I going to do anything different than anybody else would? And like, how do we add value? And then outside of retail, you know, we've developed a medical office building uh, a couple of years ago. We just finished leasing it up. So that was a great learning experience, understanding 
how that works. We've done some RV and boat storage facilities. It's basically covered parking. I think we've got five facilities, uh, two are under construction, about to be third. We have one open and one in entitlements. And then out at our project, the bigger project I was telling you guys about, Prasada, we have JV'd with a multifamily developer to develop, I think, probably 500 units, which is really exciting to learn that too. So our goal is to kind of be, hey, how do we have another arrow, you know, for us to use in the future because we've grown so to be a pretty good size. We need to make sure that we can do a lot more than just, you know, one thing. Yeah, no doubt. Absolutely. what do you feel like you you learned in the medical office? Your comment was kind of interesting to me on that. Well, you know, there, the the thing I learned is that, you know, in retail, we're used to, what do you have to do? Yeah, oh, I got to do 10 deals. I got to open 10 more stores, right? Like yeah. a lot of it is is goal-driven. Doctors don't operate that way. And <laughs> the time frame they operate on is a little different. And, you know, they're not, um, you know, they're not day-to-day business people where, like a doctor, I'm thinking of like, let's say you're dealing with an in-house real estate rep. Everyone's using a broker, but their in-house real estate rep, they do this all the time. Their job is to kind of get it pushed through. A doctor, like they're doing this at night when they have time, they'll go look at the comments and you know they're seeing patients. And so there's a different perspective. And you know, I, I enjoyed it, I'd do another one, but I think it's really hard to develop a, a big business platform on developing medical office buildings. Yeah, because they just don't have the same structure and experience. Yeah, and velocity. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's just basically one practice, and then you kind of move on. What about the what about the boat storage? Because that's big out here right now in New Mexico. More from an RV standpoint. Talk to us a little bit about that. That's interesting. Yeah, so we thought you know it's an interesting covered land play. You also look at what's happening in some shopping centers that are you know you know economically obsolete whether it's a mall, uh, maybe it's a bigger box that you could cut off half of it. And so we just said, hey, it's kind of interesting. What could you do with that land? And then, you know, just covered parking. And it's a pretty low cost entry in the sense of you don't need a lot of infrastructure. You know, cities don't love them typically. So there is that as a challenge. But, you know, would they rather have a vacant shopping center or would they rather say, hey, we can create some new outlaws? You know, we can re-energize this center. And so for us, it was more of an interesting thing to, you know, see where it goes. And, you know, to kind of bring full circle from earlier, I was like, hey, somebody, t- my mentor, t- uh, old mentor told me shotgun approach. Well, we were doing that, but now you get to so big, you kind of have to spread out a little bit. And yeah. in the sense of to make sure you're testing new concepts and trying new things. Uh, how do you, so um, are you still mainly doing merchant development primarily? Yeah, we yeah, I would say the the number of deals from a, like a profitability revenue side is pretty mixed, just given the the larger types of projects we're doing. But you know, we, you know, I always like to tell our team, you know, single score runs too, and so yeah. we just like to have a lot of hits at bat. I was just going to talk to you. Had mentioned mentorship, and that was something I was going to ask you about. You know, a lot of our listener base, or at least some of them, are are junior brokers or people who are looking at joining the CRE industry. Can you speak to the importance of having a good mentor and how you came across yours? What were you, what were you doing as you were finding your legs in the industry? Yeah, I think you know mentorship. You know, everyone tries to say it's like very. It needs to be tangible. Like I have a relationship. You're my mentor. 
you know, I think mentors come and go. They could be a specific time uh, for a specific reason. And I think, you know, knowing that, hey, um, like the mentor I was, you know, uh, speaking about the approach, like um, he was for a, a couple years, a longer term official relationship. But I've had a lot of people that have just given great ad advice during a difficult time. And I think the mentorship is so important. Seek people out and, you know, don't, I would say seek him out with specific questions. Like, here's what I'm going through. And then, you know, you can keep in touch. You don't need to do it every month, every week. There's great resources out there. Um, ICSC has a mentorship like online, I think um, for college students that you can register if you're interested in the business. And so I always feel like there's, there's great avenues. You just have to, you have to do the work, right? And so if you are interested in that, just reach out to, I mean, anybody, and it's still to this day, I'll reach out to folks that I, in the business that I look up to that, hey, I would love to have coffee, pick your brain on something. And I, I think you, you can never stop that hunger, that thirst for learning. And uh, yeah. mentorship is a big part of it. And I learned just as much, yeah, like I have a college kid that I'm a, he's my, I'm a mentor to. I learned just as much from him, just asking about like, <laughs> yeah. what do the college kids think today? You know? Hey man, very, very different. No doubt. Then you're not on TikTok, man. You need to promote your centers on TikTok. <laughs> well, the good news is, is they want to be back in person. They all, that's like a consistent thing he's told me. Is he wants to be in the office. Yeah, no doubt. That's good, man. So let's go back to 2010, right? When you were starting your company. I'm curious, and I'd really like to talk because I think it's admirable to the size that you've grown to. And, you know, you mentioned when we first started, you know, that you just hired a new uh, COO and saw that you're uh, currently looking for a CFO. I'd like to kind of go back to 2010 when you were first starting and how, how did you start your company for a lot of younger developers out there that are aspiring to be kind of where you're at? Like, what did you feel like you did right? Who was your first hire? What would you do different? Talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah. So when I first started, I, you know, might've had, you know, 40 grand to my name, you know, I'd saved up a little bit of money left on good terms, uh, with my previous employer and they had, you know, they were going to owe me some deal income, which, you know, we, they'd agreed to pay, which was great. Cause that obviously helped, you know, that initial portion of my growth. And so I didn't really know. I thought I was just going to, you know, do a few deals here and there, put some stuff together, kind of stay small. And then I was like, oh, well, I can, you know, I invested in like a hosted VoIP company. I had a couple guys that wanted to hang their license with me and they were doing like home sales and this. And I was kind of all over the place. And so I wish I would have, and not that I regret it because I think it, everything's a learning lesson, um, but just really kind of focused in a little bit more because I feel like I could have saved myself um, a bit of time. And so I think, you know, a good lesson is quitting quitting's normal, quitting's fine, you know, there's nothing wrong with quitting. I mean, I thought I took on a little too much. Like I was trying to volunteer for all these things and, you know, which is important, but, you know, if you're not doing everything at a hundred percent, you know, you're really not helping everybody if you're only 70% there. And so my first employee actually, <clears throat> initially it was my mom was coming in and uh nice. he had really nothing to do kind of house mom that my you know my you know younger sibling had left the house and you know she just wanted to help and and so she would come in a couple of days a week do like bookkeeping and you know book a trip and so that was really fun 
and yeah, she just retired uh, about a year ago. So she was with us for 10 years. So that was really cool to, you know, see her every day. And then um, our first employee was um, uh, just a friend, somebody I knew through a, an organization I was involved with and, you know, didn't really have a plan. And I, you know, I had to learn a lot and, uh, you know, fast forward now to 50 people, you know, I'm fortunate that we have a core group of, I would say six or seven that have basically been here since we really started growing about seven, eight, you know, I think it's like seven years ago and they're still here and they're like our executive team now. And you know, <laughs> they've really stepped up and a lot of organizations you have, as you grow, those there's people that, you know, they just, there's not the right fit at that time. And we've been very lucky to have a strong core group. Um, and now going through this next evolution of where, it's my, yeah, it's my company, but I don't, the COO, like day to day, you're, Hey, you know, you're kind of out of it. So it's, this is going to be an adjustment and it's going to be a challenge for me just cause I'm used to being very in it, but I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. yeah it it kind of, it, it's kind of like Kiyosaki's book, you know, when he's talking about the four quadrants and are you a, are you a, an entrepreneur in a, in a business operator or do you own a business, you know, and just moving mm -hmm. away from working in the business to on the business and could it function for six months if you weren't around you know that's a, a business owner as opposed to just a, a solopreneur but can you speak just briefly as to kind of more macro level what the life of a day in the life of a developer looks like for people looking from the outside inside maybe what that role looked like previously to the coo hire and what that's going to allow you to free up time to do um, moving forward, you're probably focusing maybe on the vision of the company or raising capital or looking at more larger size deals like you had been relationship building. Um, I know that's a lot packed into that question, but just curious to kind of peel the layers back on like, what does Josh do? You know? Yeah. I'd say the biggest thing I'm looking forward to is better balance. Okay. So I've been 11 years. Um, I got married a year and a half ago. We you know, want to start a family sooner than later. And so I think just having better balance, I've been, you know, a workaholic. Uh, I'm in the office 4.15, 4.30 in the morning. I work, I go work out, I come back and I'm here till five or six. And then we have dinners. That's why I sound a little congested. We were out drinking a little too much wine last night. Um, and so I'm definitely Tis feeling it today. Tis the season. <laughs> well, thank um, you for posting and showing up. <laughs> yes, of course. And so... I think that's a big thing. And so the COO just taking whatever it is off of my plate in the day to day. And so, you know, I guess where do I want to get to is I want my day to be right now. I have too many direct reports and that doesn't do anybody any good because I can't have one-on-ones with everybody, right? Everything is just so scheduled out that it doesn't really allow for, you know, some things to kind of unfold and, and it doesn't allow for me to do a lot of more teaching, you know, moments that I'd like to do. And so I think, you know, going forward is the plan that my executive team knows is five direct reports, you know, with the CFO, once we get him hired or her hired, that would be the goal there. And then um, I want to focus on the bigger deal side, you know, not just bigger deals, but just more deals. And then, you know, obviously clients, developing new clients, you know, working on, you know, relationships with brokers, but then also like family and, you know, philanthropy. And, you know, my wife and I have a, you know, we want to working on starting a family foundation and, you know, things like that. So I think it's just, it's balance. Yeah. It's very um, commendable. Yeah, absolutely. What would your advice be to people out there that are trying to build relationships right now? Because, you know, we, we say it all the time. You said it earlier, I mean, relationships are everything in this business. What do you feel like 
you do right? And what's the most important aspect to building relationships with tenants and uh, brokers? You know, I think we've done, you know, over time, just what's our brand and know who we are and like kind of embrace it. Like if you go on our website, we have, and it wasn't even my idea, but our dog um, Scout has got a profile on our employee page and he's a junior project manager and he's at the office. You know, I kind of live, breathe my, you know, this is, you know, I'm kind of dressed up today. Like I'm not, you know, if your viewers are seeing, like I'm, you know, just pretty casual. Um, but then also, you know, your energy, how you lead, um, you know, what just, you know, how do you show up online is how you show up at a conference and, you know, so much of it. We just got back from Vegas ICSC, which is, um, you know, the first kind of get back conference this week. And, you know, I had back-to-back meetings, you know, I even encouraged my team, get out, you know, don't stand in the booth. You guys need to get out there. And I think that's my, my, the original group I worked for, uh, this, the president was a big proponent of that. He's like, I don't want to see you in the booth. Mm-hmm. You know, you just need to walk around, go meet as many people as you can. And so I think there's like that five touch or six touch, whatever rule it is, but you meet somebody, I'm really big on handwritten thank you notes. Um, I'm really big. Like we do, like for holiday gifts for our tenants and brokers, we do these cool gift packs, you know, that are very unique, not just a bottle of wine. I mean, I, you know, which is wine, don't get me wrong. I love it. I actually like Scott's better, but wine's great. But like, nobody's going to remember that you got me a cab or, you know, unless you're, I guess, a big wine, wino, but I, don't, I still think you might not know versus we always create these kind of fun, unique gifts that literally people will post about. They think it's just so fun and they look forward to like, Hey, I know we haven't worked together in a year, but can I, can I still get a gift? So it's pretty funny <laughs> now that that that's happened. And then I think, you know, now for me, it's, Hey, how at 55 people, how does my organization, like our culture, our values be first, be fast, persist, teamwork makes a dream, you know, all these things that we, how do we get that drilled into our people? So when they're talking to others, that they're living and breathing our culture. And that's been a, that's going to be a challenge, you know, cause we've grown so much. Yeah. But that's what I was going to ask. It's, it's interesting how your team's going to adapt to not having that direct contact with you from, from I think they're okay team. with it. Yeah. I think they're, yeah they're good with it. Um, you know, they're good with it, especially because when you bring somebody in that like, and they see that I respect and trust them, yeah. Uh, and the folk, person we hired, we've, I've known for years, we've worked together in a capacity for years. So it's been a good relation, you know, already. And I'm not emotionally like super empath, you know, I'm, that's not me. I'm not a, you know, warm and fuzzy kind of guy um, to begin with. And so I think just knowing that we brought somebody in that is very empathetic is, you know, we'll listen and like be very much more engaged on that level that I, and I just know. And I think that's so much of anything in life, right? Recognize who you are and recognize who you're not. And it's okay to not be. Great advice. Yeah. Great advice. I kind of want to hear from you in kind of a detailed aspect, but again, when you started 10 years ago, I'd really like to hear about the time you felt like you really put your neck out and took your first big risk on a development and what that felt like and what was going through your head at that, at that time. Well, I feel like that all the time. Um, <laughs> you know, this last deal, you know, our Persada project, that's a big one. You know, I'll, I'll answer what, what I think I put my neck out, but also, you know, we were in a, it was probably the most difficult time. One of the most difficult periods is 
we were working with a contractor that was building a bunch of projects and this was probably five years ago and they hadn't been paying subs or you know mm -hmm. like the waivers weren't matching and so lien waivers versus payments and this and we were getting liens and you know things were starting to kind of like i could feel it like getting like spiraling out of control in fact i was thinking the other day i was trying to remember i think it was like 2017 or 2016 and it was during christmas because i remember i worked non-stop the month of december and i remember on christmas eve i was figuring out how to get this, you know, kind of undone and get it fixed for everybody. And I remember just how, you know, being confident and like really like getting people to buy into you, your vision and here's what I'm going to do um, was so important. I stuck my neck out saying, Hey, you know, do this. I promise I will do that. And, you know, sure enough, by early January, we had, you know, kind of figured everything out and got gotten things fixed because projects were laid and you know those those i think are the opportunities for character building and you know i look back and i'm like oh god that was so awful i, I you know during the period i hated it and i'm like well i mean that was a huge growth opportunity and i think obviously today you know we're dealing with you know supply chains that are just completely wow. upside down and you know schedules what are those like deadlines who knows and so like Every project, I mean, there's nobody that can tell me, and they're lying to you if they do, that they are delivering everything on time right now. It's impossible. Yeah. You can't get permits, you can't get you know, this, that, and, and you can only push. And so it's been very interesting to see how people act in this period. You know, we have a, you know, a couple of tenants that just, they don't, they don't, you know, I think they're now coming around to it, but for a while they're just like, oh, make it happen. It's like, yeah. well, I just can't snap and get people to work. And what we found is you, people get to a breaking point. And so like, how many times are you going to push them to the edge of the cliff before they just say, eh, I'm done. And they fall themselves, right? They're just done. And so I think for us right now, it's really understanding you know, how going into next year, do we properly load balance and just be making sure we're communicating, look, here's the reality and making sure we have the right partners with brokers and tenants um, that understand that. Yeah, it's it's a challenge. So so I, I guess it sounds like right now you're you're pretty much living that. So and it's a different thing. And, and I couldn't imagine starting my company now because like just for us to get a survey is six seven weeks and you yeah. know one of the surveyors we use we're their biggest customer in the state i mean i can't imagine if you were just a new shop like my first deal i did everything on a float i was like hey you know i'll pay you when i close in six months <laughs> <Yeah>. mr architect <laughs> And he was like, yeah, I got nothing. Yeah, that's fine. And like, so like those things would never happen today. So it, it'd be a very challenging time to start something right now, in my opinion. Yeah. As, we, as we're getting closer to wrapping up here, Josh, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on the company moving forward. Is there a, is there a Simon CRE fund one in the stars, you know, or are you guys going to be looking at opening offices in other markets and in five years from now in a, a perfect world what what does that vision look like for you guys well if i had a perfect vision i mean i'd be oh for five every year because every year i you know tell my team always asks me oh we're not growing anymore we're not growing anymore and you know we just have keep uh, kept growing um i will say i have no interest in doing offices outside the state i just don't see for us the benefit you know we've been fortunate that you know we've we've grown you know to close to half a billion dollars in assets now with no partners 
and no equity partners. And so we've been able to do that by, you know, just continuing to turn capital. And for us, I don't, we don't need more. I think we can just continue to do what we do and do it really well. And so for us, I like to not have all these partners where we can make the best decision for our team, the real estate and our, our tenants versus like, Hey, we're just trying to push two year, three year IRR and we need to sell that portfolio. We're not just doing a deal to close the quarter. So in five years, I would think that, you know, we have, you know, a better balance of existing assets that we're managing versus like just developing for all income. Um, We're right now, like that's what feeds the machine. So I'm hoping that there is that better balance. And I think for five years, it's more of a lifestyle, continues to become more of a lifestyle business for me. And that, that would be my, you know, five year, I'll look back on this and I'm sure I'll laugh at myself and be like, you were so wrong. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> do you guys do any pro- in-house property management? Do you manage your own properties or do you outsource that part of it? No, we manage it. We've never really managed because we've always sold. So that has been, been a big undertaking this year. Is, sure. um, we've got five people now in asset management. We're building out our finance team. So we've had a, like every system that could be broken, we've broken it. Um, and so we're trying to like, we're trying to build that infrastructure. And from a property management, I think it's just important on end to end for us that we want to make sure the tenants experience 99% of it's during when they're operating. And we want to make sure their calls are being answered when they have a roof leak that we're taking care of and that we know what's going on. Um, so that's been a big thing for us and a big learning lesson too. Yeah. Especially coming from a broker, that side of the business is completely different. So completely, totally different. As Gannon mentioned, we're kind of wrapping up on our time here. I'd like to kind of close with you sharing uh, what's the best piece of advice that you've gotten and what's uh, a piece of advice that you would give our audience today as it relates to commercial real estate and growing in it. I would say, you know, the best piece of advice is, is I think for me, it's get out there and build relationships. And, you know, if you don't ask, you're not going to, you're never taking any chance. So you've always got to go ask the question. And then the, you know, for me, my, you know, I would say find a mentor. Like, I just think that that's, or mentors. Um, I think that's so important to push yourself, but also embrace who you are. Like, what do you want? I love what I do. Like I wake up every day excited to do it. I'm sure you guys are the same and that, that that speaks and you can feel it when you're, when you're with me. And so if you're not, if you don't love it, don't do it. Yeah. It'll eat you alive. (laughs) And that's what I tell people all the time. This this business will eat you alive if you're not passionate about it. So definitely a good piece of advice there. Well, great, man. Well, thanks for again, joining us today. Greatly appreciate your insight. Congratulations again on, on all that you've accomplished in your uh, very short uh, career thus far. And uh, we look forward to seeing what the next decade holds for you. So it should be exciting and expansive for you. And as it sounds a little bit more productive on the personal side as well. So uh, if there's a family on the way, just wait till you have a kid, man. So Gannon has three and I have one and they will change your life that I can tell you. So uh, it's definitely a lot of fun, but thanks for joining us. I don't feel like sleeping anymore, at least during the night. So I get to wake up looking like this. Yeah, you know how you- you, So like you had a bottle of wine. Yeah, 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 right. That's exactly what I got to say. But uh, we appreciate your time, man. Thanks for being with us today. Thanks, Josh. 
Hey listeners, thank you so much for joining us today. If you feel someone within your network would benefit and learn from this podcast, please feel free to share this or any other episode with them. If you feel you have benefited from this podcast, please leave us a review on any platform where you listen to podcasts. We greatly appreciate your support and feedback, and we look forward to connecting with you on the next show. Until then, stay healthy, stay safe, stay educated.